Hello, welcome to day eight of the 7am Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge, first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Uh, today we're beginning our week talking about character building with Alain Mashari and Marjan Kamali. And I realized as I'm saying your names, you guys' names also, they have the same number of syllables and they rhyme. So that's kind of weird. And, and you guys are friends. So I like that as well. So Marjan is an award-winning author of The Stationery Shop, a national bestseller, and Together Tea, a Massachusetts Book Award finalist. Um, Kamali's novels are published in translation in more than 20 languages. Her essays have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Literary Hub, and Los Angeles Review of Books. She holds a bachelor's degree in English literature for the University of California, Berkeley, and an MBA from Columbia University. I didn't know that. <laughs> and a master of fine arts and creative writing from New York University. She currently teaches at Grub Street, where I also teach and she's a recipient of a 2022 NEA fellowship. Alain Mishari is an author of the acclaimed debut novel, Zimsky, The Obscure, which is a title I've always loved. Um, and a book I love. I love. I love both of these people and all of their books. I'm very excited this morning. Um, his book earned rave reviews from Publishers Weekly, Kirkus, and Booklist. Boston's NPR station named it one of the 10 good reads for the summer. Um, Alain's short stories, poems, and essays have been widely published, appearing or forthcoming in McSweeney's, Salamander, Solstice, Hobart, Duked, J Journal, Slate, Valparaiso, uh, Fiction Review, and elsewhere. His work has been nominated for multiple Pushcart Prizes, as well as the Derringer Award, and he is a recipient of the Literature Artist Fellowship from the Somerville Arts Council. Okay, so today we're focusing, we're starting our week on character building, and today we're focusing very specifically on thinking about and working with character goals or yearning and even possibly if we get there the difficulties with writing about characters who don't have the agency to carry it out their goals and one thing for everyone to think about is these sorts of words like character goals um, um aristotle spoke of it as like one action um you also get it from the question what does your character want um, and then yearning, or um, there's also sort of different words that writers and teachers use for these things, and they're all basically the same thing. Though I do separate them between external, like things that this, the characters actually do externally uh, for their goals, and then that deeper emotional internal yearning. And that deeper, more emotional internal yearning is usually very confused. Um, it's wrapped up in a whole lot of different things about their own past, their own experiences, their own self-doubts. Um, and oftentimes they don't even know it or understand it or can't articulate it themselves. They might instead have their goals in mind. I want to marry Fred or I want to win a million dollars or that sort of thing. So the goals in my mind, and these guys can have their own thoughts on this, are, can be, are very, very simple. And they're oftentimes wrong um, because a character will think, well, if I marry Fred, I'm going to get all these deeper things that I'm yearning about. And normally that's not what Freddie, marrying Fred means. In fact, marrying Fred might be the exact opposite of what the person wants to do. So I'm going to let Marjan get us started in, in thinking about how she um, thinks about character goals, yearning, and how she considers it when she's first drafting her books or doing revision. Marjan, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me on. And it's a pleasure to join you and to be with Ilan Okari, who, yes, we noticed that our syllables match. Um, it's, it's just a pleasure to be with you guys today. 
I, it's funny, Michelle, you were talking about characters who don't have agency. Mm. And when I first thought about that, I realized that unwittingly, um, it just so happens that my main characters don't really have any agency. That's part of the problem, one might say. So um, one thing I think about when I'm first drafting these characters, especially the main characters, is as opposed to thinking of what their goals are or what they want, I try to do a deep dive into things that I need to know about them that the, the reader doesn't necessarily even need to grasp, but that will be there in the subtext. So things like, who do they miss the most? Mm. Things like, what do they regret the most? Um, are they living a life that matches the vision they had when they were a child? Um, I do this kind of deep dive into, you could call it melancholia, which maybe you know relates to what you were saying about yearning, but I try to really figure out who they are before I even think about what they want. Because a lot of times when I'm starting out, I don't know what they want. And like you said, they think they know what they want and what they want isn't necessarily yeah. truly what they want. So just to just to wrap up this this little part, in order to do that deep dive, I do a lot of like diary entries in the voice of the character. So, you know, just like a spiral notebook, pen. I know um, Elon is also a big fan of longhand. Just write down. Nice. You know? uh, just write down like, hey, today I feel like I really miss my sister and and write in their voice, even if everything that's being poured onto that page isn't necessarily going to end up in your finished novel. I think that's really important. I've seen other writers talk about that as like the pulse of a scene, that kind of, again, that deeper, oftentimes unnamed yearning that runs under a scene. Um, and you have to have that. That's that's the character. Um, that's that's really the, the thing that we attach to as readers. Um, so it's, it's so important to have a, a deeper understanding of those instead of just thinking um, in the more external way, what does my character want? Because it's, it's much more complex than that. Um, and when your characters can't actually act on what they want, then you have to go even deeper. Yeah, excellent. Alan, how about you? Well, it was funny. I was, um, I was once reading an essay by um, the crime writer James Elroy about the keys to a successful interrogation scene, which is, of course, a, you know, essential to almost any crime novel. The suspect is with the police. The police are asking questions. And even though every reader has seen that kind of thing before, what can you do to make it really compelling? And it's basically really magnifying the desire of each side of the interrogation. And so when I think about overall character yearning, I really like to think about it both in terms of the individual scene that I'm working on, where ideally you have kind of um, a tug of war and there's that classic conflict where, where characters want different things in the scene. And then you sort of have the overall trajectory of their yearning through the course of the novel, which as you conceive of the character, you're going to sort of understand their long-term wants and and some of them are going to be 
classic human wants. Some of them are going to be endemic to their own biography. And then you sort of, and sometimes they'll change. I know in, in the thing that I'm working on right now, I wasn't completely clear about what, what some of my minor characters wanted until I killed off the main character that a lot of their lives were revolving around. And that almost helped me clarify what was going on in each of their individual journeys outside of their relation to um, the protagonist. So I really like to think of, of character yearning, both in terms of the individual scenes that I'm constructing and trying to uh, insert tension into, and also sort of, you know, thinking about how it plays out over the long term of the, of the story. That's interesting. So one of you, you cut a protagonist and then everyone else became clearer. Yeah. And what made you want to cut the protagonist to begin with? This was just, this is just kind of first draft meddling. Yeah. I, 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 I knew that he was going to die at some point. And right now, as I sort of work through this draft, I'm convinced that I killed him a little too early. But an ancillary benefit of that as I work through the story is that it helped me crystallize the goals of the minor characters, which previously were only operating in relation to the protagonist. And this has helped me sort of see, well, what does each of them want in their own lives now that, now that this character is out of the picture? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, Christine Chabib has, is asking in the Q&A, how do you keep away from that cookie cutter style of an everyday event? So probably that everyday desire or goal. Um, I generally think about it as I, I tell the story of a, of a guy wants a hot dog, <laughs> um, which sounds really boring and annoying. How can you write a story about a guy that wants a hot dog? So that is the external goal. That's the simplified goal. It gets the guy up and out of his chair moving because you also need that too. You do need some external goals to get your characters moving. All the, Otherwise, they'll just sit and brood in their room and not do anything at all. Um, but maybe he wants the hot dog because his wife is pregnant and has told him, you better get me a hot dog. And maybe she has, says, you better get me a hot dog because if you don't do this one last thing right in your life, I'm leaving you because I'm done. I am completely done. So for her, the hot dog is their entire mess, their entire marriage. Um, and so then you're also adding stakes onto that goal. And, and then you'd also add obstacles onto that goal in terms of how much does he love his wife? What are his own weaknesses in terms of laziness? Also external obstacles, like where's the damn, you know, hot dog cart. Um, is he going to be able to get the hot dog right when he gets there? Is it going to be hot? So you can actually, if you're able to add stakes um, and those can be human and emotional stakes onto that external goal, uh, that can be really helpful. And then also what can be helpful is if someone else, re- it's called a goal by request, um, and a lot of books will function that way, that someone else will be making a request of your character. And because of their feelings of duty for the character or their love of the character, or other things that that person holds over the character, they will um, move forward and, and do those things. The only thing is by halfway through the book, you do need to find a place where the character is him or herself or their selves grabbing hold of the goal themselves um, instead of being driven by the request. Um, okay, I've let Marjan and Alon think a bit. Again, how do you keep away from that cookie cutter style of an everyday event? Well, you know, is there really an everyday event? Because I think for your character, nothing is going to be 
cookie cutter, again, if you've done the deep dive, because it's, for example, let's say you think of an everyday event in an quote unquote everyday setting, but we don't care about the setting itself. We care about how that character relates to the setting. Yes. So, so, you know, let's say it's a hot dog to go with your example, Michelle, and it's New York City and it's a, a hot dog cart. But that's a bit of a cliche that we're all used to seeing, you know, in media and movies and books. But how does this character feel about this particular place they're in? And I don't mean just like the location, but this place they're in in their lives. So it's it's never yes. really going to be an everyday event. And um the other thing I was going to say is some, another way to kind of avoid doing that cookie cutter thing is to not shy away from your character's place in the society politically yes. or culturally, because that by definition will take away the cookie cutterness. So, you know, um, something I love to do with my students first off when we start is what are three issues that your character truly cares about. And, you know, people will write things like women's rights, or they might write things like the death of snails, you know, yeah. what are what are these issues that your character truly thinks about? And then anytime you're doing a scene or a conflict or something, that's going to be infused in there. And hopefully that's in the subtext. And just to go back to what we were discussing earlier, I'm very pro killing off a protagonist in order to make things just truly um, crystallize for everybody else. And I resisted it in the first draft um, of the stationary shop. I didn't want to kill off one of the main characters, but then in revision, I realized that's what I was resisting mm -hmm. and that's what needed to happen. And by having that main character die halfway through the novel, it changed everything. Everything. Yes. And yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. Killing off characters can be very fun, <laughs> even before and making them not even part of the book at all. I'm actually removing a major, major character from my book right now. And it changes the entire book and makes it all work because that character is becoming a little too bigger um, than life and was kind of wrenching the book in a, in a direction that the other characters, the rest of the book just didn't really want to go. Um, so making those big sacrifices is what revision is all about. Some people think revision is just, um, you know, decreeing with your sentences and usually it needs to be, you are re-seeing the whole thing, um, re-visioning um, the whole thing. Elon, how about you? I think that um, an everyday event can get magnified if um, there are some, you know, to go to the hot dog stand, um, you're going to be much more worried at the hot dog stand if um, you have been, let's say it's a hot dog stand you've been to um, every day, but there's been a new vendor in the last couple of weeks and the vendor is giving you an attitude because you always pay in cash and you're, and he's beginning to look at you suspiciously because, oh, why do, why, do you, why do you have so much money yet you come to this corner? Or if the person buying the hot dog is... Um, you know, there's a police alert on the lookout for him and he's just hungry, but he's going to kind of, you know, look over his shoulders um, or it's the corner of the city where he's rendezvousing with another character. And wait a second, this character's not here. Okay. I better eat this hot dog and appear nonchalant, but maybe there's somebody, you know, so I think, I think if you want to use everyday events um, and there are reasons to do that in any story, I think the key is just to make sure that 
they don't they don't sort of have the the calm and the relaxation that sort of um, an everyday trip um, at you know to the food truck would have in 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 one of one of our lives. There have to be reasons that you know a part of part of talking about character goals is talking about scene selection, and I think if 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 after sort of really doing a thorough a thoroughgoing examination of why a scene is necessary in a book uh, or a story the scene is still going to be something that's an everyday event it's just important to make sure that there's some tension in the air that underlies the the everyday event yes excellent excellent um in our chat some people have reminded us like of, of proust and his search for madeleines um you know you can you can actually build a, a, a story around the banal. Um, they've been done as long as you're thinking about the socioeconomic um, setting. Um, also, there's all sorts of deeper things that a search for Madeleine's or a search for a hot dog can, can bring up that could actually be uh, interesting. Um, can you sell a book can, to an agent? Oh, I wrote a book about a guy searching for a hot dog. That would be tougher, um, but you might find your way to something else as you work on it. Um, Elizabeth is asking in the chat, is there a difference between showing the interiority of protagonists without agency and showing their desires, yearnings through subtext? Can you talk about that? And she says, I seem to write exclusively about these types of folks. Mm -hmm. um, and she says she's been a student of Marjan's, so that's oh. awesome. Yeah, hi, Elizabeth. I'm glad you tuned in. Um, you know, it's interesting when, you, when your characters don't necessarily have agency, I think the interiority is a balance that you have to really master. You don't want to go on and on with them bemoaning the fact that they don't have agency. And their being aware of their lack of agency is maybe something you don't even want to explore too much. Um, that's the point. And something that I think we all have to remind ourselves is that anybody who reads a novel, anybody who picks up a novel in order to spend some time with it is interested in having the experience be interactive. Hmm. If you wanna veg out, you sit in front of the TV and veg out and watch TV. When you're picking up a novel, you, you want to, as a reader, be involved and make certain connections yourself and figure things out perhaps before the main character. So no need to spell things out so much because that's the joy you give the reader. Maybe have them know the character's lack of agency before the character themselves knows. And that can be done not just through subtext, um, but through dialogue. You know, I know we all are a fan of having the character say one thing that certainly means another or having a question being asked and having the answer be something completely different. So there's so many ways you can show lack of agency. And the other way you can show lack of agency for your main character without going too much into interior monologue is to show how the setting and the circumstances affect them and deprive them of, of any agency. It doesn't have to be an antagonist or bad guy that doesn't allow them the agency. It can be, again, the country in which they live or, or a wilderness they that they're caught in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Their setting, 
You know, it's very much related to the lack of agency. Yeah. Setting meaning not just location, but but atmosphere and um, you know, political realities. Yes. And and the and the reader is very much a part of that creative act. And if the author is trying to control that too much, I, I tell people like you really can only control about fifty percent of what your book means and says. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just if you're more of a controlling person and you really want to get down, you know, you really want to tell people something, <laughs> you might need to be writing something else than fiction and even good um, creative nonfiction. Yeah, you might um, want to be writing cliff notes if that's what you want to do. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I was just going to say something else about that and it completely flew out of my head. Um, oh, so when we think about writing a scene, um, you know what? I have had some people be like, oh, then I don't need to clarify anything. I actually had um, a student who gave me um, 70 pages of a drug trip that he was on. And I, <laughs> I, don't, I didn't know what it was just all abstract. I was like, is there a character here? I just didn't know what. And um, I felt so bad because he was really excited about this drug trip that he was writing about. Um, The important thing is to at least have what's in front of us clear. So what is the room? Um, You know, is it a bar? Is it a living room? Um, You know, how many people are in the room? Just like like basics, like what, what is right in front of us be clear? And then the motivations, the why, the deeper yearnings, what got the characters there, um, how these people know each other or the background on the relationship, that can um, be implied and built on later. Um, so that's the sort of stuff that you can leave more in subste- um, subtext and give, again, your reader room to lean in to the process and to ask questions because a question is what's gonna run um, your work. Uh, your character should be asking questions. This is a problem I see in workshops all the time. When we have like workshop, you know, like a first 20 or 30 pages of a novel and people start hitting the writer with questions, 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 questions. And then the writer's like, oh no, I've got to answer all those questions in the first 20 or 30 pages. No, actually you don't. Those could be questions that are leading the, the reader through the text beyond those first 30 pages. So they could be very good questions for you. Um, Alon, how about you for the difference between showing the interiority of protagonists without agency um, and subtext? Well, I think of a great example of this is, I don't know if either of you has read Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Um, there's, you know, this is a story about a group of former Texas Rangers who make a journey from uh, a small town near the, near the Rio Grande and settle an early part of Montana. One of the ex-Texas Rangers is a black man and his agency is, is exceptionally limited compared to that of the other characters. And McMurtry does a wonderful job of um, encapsulating what's going on in his head with these really simple scenes where he's just, this character whose name is Dietz is simply staring at the moon and just mulling the moon. And I think one, you know, nature is always going to be a fantastic way to illustrate all of our lack of agency. We cannot control the moon, we cannot control the weather. And I think by sort of really leaning into the sensory perceptions of one's characters, you can sort of incorporate a lot of that into really basic description without going overboard. And as Marjan was saying, a reader will be able to just, you know, take from that sort of an overarching message about a lack of 
agency or a character's self-deception about his agency. The best example of that is, of course, Ahab in Moby Dick, who is like, the hell with God, <laughs> I'm in control here. And we all know what happens. So I think I, I, I tend to lean on nature and sensory description um, when it comes to um, trying to capture a character's sense of agency or lack thereof. Wonderful. So Mary in the Q&A is also asking about how do you organize your writings? Um, do you save your work on a computer? And I, I think in terms of your thinking about the character's goals and your needs, like, are you writing notes down? Do you keep them somewhere? Um, or are they all in your head? Or how is that, how is that working in terms of very specifically what you do to organize those particular thoughts about your writings. Rajan? Um, I obviously, in this day and age, I have succumbed to the computer, <laughs> though you'd be surprised how reluctantly. I do a lot of my writing longhand, so I organize it in notebooks. Um, for each novel, I have like a five subject notebook, and one section will be basically writing the novel. Another section might be research notes. Another section might be character notes. And then separately, I have a separate notebook for the character's diary, which again, doesn't matter if your book doesn't even include first person, just writing in the voice of the character for your own benefit, for your own fun times mm -hmm. will inform the writing. And sometimes when I suggest this, people say, oh, I don't have the time. And then I'll say, oh, okay. And then they'll tell me the 26 episodes of a TV show that we recently binged. I'm like, oh, you don't have the time to write a character okay. um, So, um, It'll save them time if they do that work. It'll save them time. And anyway, who cares about saving time? Why is yeah. that? A, why do we want to do that? So um, I have a lot of notebooks and my notebooks are my you know, they're very tactile. And I, you yeah. know, a, a mutual friend, uh, Maria Much, she recommends that for every book that you write, you have a banker's box. And hopefully your audience, Michelle, is old enough to know what that is. And, <laughs> and to my Gen Z fans, a banker's box is like a cardboard box um, that we used to carry paper in. And for each book, why not have that? And that's a great way to organize yourself. Throw in your notebooks, throw in magazine articles that, uh, you know, attune with the novel, throw in maybe an amethyst rock that reminds you of a character in the novel, make it super tactile uh, so that you can feel it. And I do like to organize each book literally in a banker's box. Fantastic. I don't know if people want me to talk about Scrivener. Wrong person for that. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Alan, how about you in terms of organizing and in terms of like characters, character development and their yearnings and desires? Well, I I I agree. I, I with Marjan, I I I keep a lot of separate notebooks on the side where I just sort of if I'm in the middle of a scene and I'm mainly thinking about the plot. I can kind of keep track of all of the characters and their individual trajectories in a, in a separate place and I can go back to it. The other thing that I, I would recommend is you might find as you're telling your story that the demands of your scene require the creation of a new character who you haven't conceived of yet. And we all, we all do this. Part of the fun of storytelling is you find your, your main character somewhere and who do they bump into but someone you didn't realize was going to be there. And maybe that person has um, a surprising significance to the story 
And so just to sort of be open to, even if, if a character is not someone that you, you know, created in your initial scribbles, you can, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't create one. And then as you revise, find a way to, um, insert them seamlessly into the story by kind of um, integrating them earlier somehow, making them somebody's cousin or something like that. So um, I think I think in addition to sort of the the planning and the um, and sort of really giving each character the benefit of writing in her voice, thinking about their you know really being conversant with the biography of each individual character, large and small. It's also important to be open to characters who might come along the way and figuring out, oh, maybe this is someone who I need to integrate for the sake of the story. Yes, excellent. And I normally say, um, if you are even thinking that you might not need a character, then I find that that my students at least eventually will cut that character. <laughs> um, and if the characters, if your removal of a character makes no effect on the movement of the novel at all, then you might be having a problem with that character if they're a secondary character or primary character. So you might need to develop that character more in the novel and give them a stronger role or remove them. All right, we're going to have to get everyone to their writing desk, getting going this morning. Thanks so much, Marjan Kamali and Alain Makari. Um, starting tomorrow, we're going to uh, talk about observer versus participant characters and protecting your character too much with writers Steve Allman and Kate Wakulia. You can find the full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Thank you so much, everyone. Have an amazing writing day, and we will see you all tomorrow. Bye. Have you found Bye. what you lost? Have you lost what you found? Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind. You go where it tells you to go, but you never